bit. Uh, but God's put something on my heart uh, to share this morning. Um, and it starts with the word of increase. I believe that our Heavenly Father wants to bring us as a church family into a season of increase. Of increase. Now, that's increase in a whole range of areas. Increase in salvation, increase in healing and deliverance, increase in our impact as a community amongst our city, increase in growth and numbers and as a body, uh, increase in, in, in kingdom acts and kingdom resources at our fingertips. He wants to see in this family an increase of joy and an increase of his presence among us, his tangible presence. This is his heart for us, an increase in maturity and in a, in a, in a tangible experiencing of his love. He wants to see an increase in the prophetic and an increase in the resources at our fingertips to impact a nation. Our Father is bringing us into a season of increase. He wants to put tools in our hand to equip us for impact. Now, the thing that I've been learning is that, that God is a loving Father, and He won't put tools in our hands that we are not ready to weld, that we cannot take the weight of. I've got a scar on my thumb right here of when I was a boy, and I got hold of a tool that I was not ready to wield, a little tomahawk axe, didn't know how to use it, up in the bush, and, uh, and I was and hacking away, ended up just about cutting my thumb off, and I got a nice little scar here. What happens when a child gets hold of a tool that is not quite ready to wield? But the father would say to us, my children, I want to bring you into a season of increase. I want to open to you blessings from heaven, but I also want to teach you and enable you how to steward these well, how to handle it, so you won't end up like that guy on that chainsaw ad who is all equipped up and he's standing next to the tree and then he goes, whoa, and swings it like an axe. Like you're just not quite equipped and ready with the weight of what God is pouring out on us. He wants to fill us till we're overflowing that we might be a blessing to the nations. But we, but we need a few things in order to actually take the weight of that glory, so to speak. And, and so that's why I feel the heart of the Father for us is this morning. And, and as I've been mulling over that word for a little bit as, as I've been looking at chapter 2 of Nehemiah. And that's uh, for a, a few weeks ago, Pete uh, kicked us off in our new Nehemiah series. And Pete spoke uh, of the church moving in power to see nations impacted, to see kings coming to our light, that the church family might arise and shine and see the walls rebuilt. Uh, and I'd encourage you to go online and listen to that talk if you haven't uh, already. And so we're in Nehemiah chapter 2 this morning as, a, as, a, as to carry on that, um, that series, this series. Now, I'm not going to go through the whole chapter in detail, but the one thing that I see that really jumped out to me is that Nehemiah went through a sudden season of increase. He went through a sudden season of increase. And to be honest with you, he needed increase in order to see the walls rebuilt. I mean, it was a mammoth task, wasn't it? I mean, he couldn't have just gone there with a cup in his hand and a few letters. No, no, he needed a team. He needed resources. He needed confidence and boldness. He needed, and he went, he needed a, a, a season of increase to equip him for this. And, uh, and so we see that. We see it in, in the chapter. And I, I believe we should really take note of this, actually, because we have prophetic words over us as a church for great impact and influence and, and increase. And actually, some of, these, some of these prophetic words are, talk about it happening 
quite quickly. You know, you're going to break through barriers of growth and all of a sudden much quicker than you thought you were going to. These are some of the words that the Father has spoken over us. And now Nehemiah, the thing is, he was ready for this season. And so I want to ask the question, what, what made him ready? What, what enabled him that when this came, he could actually, he could actually uh, sort of bear under the weight and the glory of what God had for him to do? And that he didn't end up like a boy with a tomahawk axe half cutting his thumb off. And so we see this in chapter 2. So just skimming over, summarizing chapter 2, we see Nehemiah starts chapter 2 with minimal, inf- uh, minimal influence and impact. He was a cupbearer. He was a servant. His job was to serve drinks. All right? So he didn't have much influence and authority. He started the chapter with, with little resources, actually. He has a cup in his hand and some wine. All right? Uh, uh, so again, minimal resources. He started the chapter really man alone, you know, a woman of prayer, on his own before a king. But by the end of the chapter, you read through the chapter, by the end of it, he has this amazing, courageous encounter with the king. By the end of the chapter, he has, he's rapidly goes through a season of increase. He ends the chapter with great leadership and authority. He ends the chapter impacting nobles and officials, impacting a great team around him. He, he starts the chapter with little resources, like you know, a cup and a wine, uh, you know, a cup and some wine in his hand. He ends the chapter with with letters from a king, instructing the procurement of great wealth and and and, and resource. You know, I want that forest. You know, I want that. I'm, I've got some walls to build, and this letter says you got to give me what I need. You know, you know we don't want to sort of behave like that, but you know what I mean. So he was he he went through a rapid season of increase with the resources at his fingertips. Again, he started man alone. By the end of the chapter, he had a great team around him. And we'll read in, in, in chapters to come a massive team that he knew by name. But not only a team of builders, he had soldiers and warriors next to him. You know, he knew something of warfare and battle uh, as well. So he, he went through a rapid season of increase. And so as I'm reading this, I'm asking myself the question, what made him ready for it? Now, one thing that I've been learning is that the father loves his children so much. And the thing is, the father loves his children so much that he wouldn't ruin his children in order to restore ruins, if you know what I mean. You know, like he's not, he's not going to build his kingdom at the expense of his dearly beloved children. And so there's this, not a sense of urgency, but there's this almost this heart of the father to ready us as children uh, for increase. And I believe that it all links back to this word here. What made Nehemiah ready was identity. Our ability to handle God's blessing of increase, I believe, is linked to our maturity and security in this word here, in our identity. You see, Nehemiah knew who he was He knew his identity, and that equipped him and made him ready for increase. You see, he knew he was a cupbearer. So he knew as a cupbearer, he had a presence with the king. He had the king's ear. Now, here's my challenge. Someone who is a cupbearer, who is a servant, figures out his identity, and as a result, goes on to change history. How much more when we are the children of God, when we start to figure out our, our identity, or we start to impact nations, or we start to see God's kingdom come. 
You know what I mean? If a cupbearer finding his identity changes history, how much more when you find out that you're a son of God or when you find out that you're a daughter of God and start operating from that place? Identity. So I've been asking myself the question, I've been asking, asking us this morning, do we truly know who we are? Do we truly know who we are? Or is our response to a preach like this, uh, here we go on about identity again, father's heart again, you know? You see, the thing is, we have an identity, we have a calling, we are objects of such an intense love that when we begin to grasp it, it's not, oh, here we go again, it actually it baffles the mind. And if it's not baffling your mind, we haven't got it till it's, we haven't plumbed the depths of this truth. So do we truly know who we are? You see, we've got these words of increase over. I think we need to keep going with this word identity until we see some of these words come to pass. I believe that this is the key to unlocking everything that God has for us in terms of increase. And so I just want to pray, Lord, would you show us who you are? Would you testify with our spirit who we are in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. Are you guys all right? It's pretty hot in here. Should we turn the heating off for a little bit? You all look very, very comfortable. And I feel like I've got some good things to say this morning, so I don't want you to fall asleep on the account of a heater, okay? All right? I want you, I, I, I've got something on my heart, and hey, look, that thing's not going to stop me from getting that through to you, okay? Now, so identity. Now, I'm not going to go to Nehemiah to unlock our identity. I want to go to Romans chapter 8 and just unlock four foundational truths of our identity that build on top of one another and that when we get, when we grasp, will, will equip us for a season of increase. Are you guys up for that yeah. this morning? Yeah. You with me? Good, good. So the first couple I'll skip over briefly, but Romans chapter 8, the first truth of our identity is that we are forgiven. So has everyone got a Bible or a tablet in their hands? I want you to flick through with me as we go, all right? Romans chapter 8, we are forgiven. There is now no condemnation. Once upon a time, you stood condemned. You stood, stood guilty. You were stained from your sin. Jesus died on the cross in your place, died the death that you deserved, and now, because he took your place, you are declared innocent. The gavel was about to drop and say, hey, you're guilty, but Jesus took your place, and now, hey, you are innocent. That is the great truth, isn't it, of who we are. Who are we? Well, we are a forgiven people. Romans 8 carries on, verses 5 to 11. starts talking about the Holy Spirit. We are not just forgiven and then left to one side. No, the God himself by his Spirit comes and lives in us, and he empowers us. So if you ever wonder, how am I going to live this Christian life? Well, by the Holy Spirit in you, empowering you and changing you. And he gives gifts to his people as well. We've even heard this morning the gift of encouragement, the gift of the, of the prophetic. We have teaching gifts on display. We have, you know, leadership gifts on display. These are all gifts of the Holy Spirit. So we're not on our own, left to our own devices. No, he comes and lives within us. And in the book of Acts, there's almost a sense of urgency of, hey, have you guys been filled with the Holy Spirit yet? And they're like, well, I didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Well, hey, well, let's get that sorted because you can't do this on your own. Come on, we are a, we are a people filled with the Spirit. All right, so that is our second identity. Second foundation uh, of our identity. Romans 8 carries on. And this next truth, I think, I think, you know, we are learning. I think we've got some ways to go, as I would put my hand up and say definitely as well for my own life. But that is this truth that we are 
adopted. Romans chapter 8, verse 12 to 15. For those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. All right, And you receive the Spirit of adoption as sons. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We have heard even this morning that, you know, that our Wahini Toa have been learning of the Father's heart for them, that they are adored, that they are loved, that he is proud of us, that he is invested in us. You know, we're not just forgiven and then forgotten. And that's a cold truth and reality. There's actually a warmth of knowing and understanding that we are his sons and daughters. Amen? You see, the problem is a lot of us amen that, but too many of us live as orphans with orphan thinking, orphan attitudes, and orphan behavior. All the while actually thinking that we have this identity box ticked. And I know that because I've lived in that and I've preached about identity, but I haven't got it myself. So it is possible. You see, it's possible to know that we are forgiven, possible to know that we are spirit-filled, and it is possible to not live in the reality that we are adopted as sons and daughters. So how do we know this? How do we know that we have truly grasped this? Well, Romans chapter 8, verse 15 says, You didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. In other words, if you, if you haven't got adoption, then there'll be fear in your life. You will fall back into fear. So if there are fears in your life and you are controlled by them, then maybe that's an area of your life where actually orphan thinking is overtaking you, is controlling you, that you feel a slave to. And I've lived in this, actually. We live in a fear of rejection, don't we? We live in the fear of man. We live with the fear of failure. What if this doesn't work out? We live in the fear that we are forgotten and overlooked. All right, That didn't quite go well with me, and now I am just pushed to one side. We, a big one for me is we, are, we, are, we, are, we have a fear that we are insignificant, and we have to strive for our significance by what we do. We live in a fear that we are unloved, and, that this, and, and all in all, we are stuck in this. And I would challenge you this morning and say, hey, if these fears are present in our life, then it may, be a, it may be that you still have orphan thinking in your heart and you are still not having truly plumbed the depths that you are a son and that you are a daughter. Galatians chapter 5 is another yardstick that I've been finding helpful, very uncomfortable as well, but to diagnose orphan thinking in our life. Galatians chapter 5 talks about works of the flesh. So it talks about things like sexual immorality, enmity, strife, Jealousy, anger, rivalry, and envy. I believe that these are signs of orphan thinking. Well, you say, well, it talks about the... This is, hang on, man. Isn't this about a work of the flesh? Well, yeah, it is. But I believe it is about um, signs of orphan thinking because if you took those things, those, that list there, and you superimposed it over, say, the story of the prodigal son which is all about two orphans encountering the love of a father, you'll see all of those on display. Sexual immorality, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, rivalry, and envy. They are signs that we haven't got our identity in place yet. The opposite of them is fruit of the spirit. The spirit of what? Sonship. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
I challenge you to find someone with an orphan heart who is full of peace, love, joy, patience, kindness, and self-control. All right? As Galatians 5 says, these two lists are opposed to each other. They are opposites. So if we are operating in orphan thinking and we are full of, say, jealousy or envy, then our life is hardly full of joy and peace, is it? We wake up in the morning, you know? You know? Oh, thank you, Lord, for the joy and peace that I have as your child, you know? It's just not there. They are opposed to one another. So, oh, thanks, Matt, for identifying orphan thinking in my life. <laughs> I'm going to go home feeling so good right now. But I have to ask the question then, how do we truly grasp this block, this foundation of being adopted? And I'm on that journey myself as well. How do we truly grasp it? Well, I've just taken a drink from this drink bottle that my wife bought me. And imagine that it is the source of all knowledge when it comes to orphan thinking, all right? All the books in the world, all the podcasts, you know, all the preachers. And you can drink from this quite a lot. You can drink of it till you're just, you know, the opposite of dehydrated. You're just flooded with all of this stuff in your head. Now, I've been learning that the distance from this to this is much shorter than the distance from here down to here. Do you know what I mean? You can, you can go and look, for the next... Ten weeks, you can go and listen to everything and read everything, and you can fill your head with this. But the challenge of really grasping this is getting it from here down to here. It requires a deep inner work. Now, to illustrate, I had a recent pain in my knee. Right? I, had a, I tried to be a hero at work, and, uh, I, and the result was a little bit of work got done and a whole lot of uh, injury got done to my knee, and I'm limping around like this. And I'm calling Sam, going, oh, my knee hurts, what do you do? You know, like, um, so, uh, and so, so I had a lot of pain. So I went to the physio, and the physio explained the problem to me. Matt, you're trying to be a hero. No, no, she said, uh, you know, this is happening, that's happening. And she gave me some exercises to do. In other words, I understood up here what was, what was wrong, and I thought, I knew that this, these exercises would help. So I took this knowledge, and I tried really hard to make it happen, Right? I worked really hard, did all my exercises. I just went hammer and tongs and doing all these things. I'm going up and down like this and squats and stuff. And I did it so hard that when I went to my next physio appointment, I still had my sore knee, but embarrassingly now I also had a sore foot. And now she had to treat my foot as well as my knee. Okay, and that was quite embarrassing. But just goes to show you can have everything up here and you can work really hard, but it's not the answer. The answer was that the physio got her elbow and dug it so deep into my leg and into my knee that the pain was just like, Rah! but I tell you, what, I stood up, all the pain was gone. And I was like, man, I feel like she's in a testimony right now. I'm like 100% better. I'm like a 10 out of 10, praise God, you know? Like, I was like, how did you do that? You know, working in the gifts of you know, healing or something, it's like, no, it was, just, it was like, oh, it was a deep inner work that was required. So when I stood up, my knee was, was gone. The pain was gone. You see, what was required was a deep inner work. We're getting it from here down to here. And a deep inner work of the spirit is required to truly plumb the depths of our sonship and of our daughtership. Because in Romans chapter 8, says, The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, that we are children of God. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit. It's like our mind's not even present there. It's just like a deep inner work. And when that happens, it's like, wow, I am a child of God. And you can't earn that, and you can't strive for that, but that 
that sort of almost vulnerable position and a vulnerable stance of God is just up to you. It's, it's part of stepping in our being of our sonship and daughtership, isn't it? Hey, it's up to you, God. Come and do a work in me. And so I would encourage us as a church actually to continually find context of love and encouragement one another, whether it's on your own before God or in, us, in our connect groups or in prayer weeks coming up, to find time where God's spirit can testify with your spirit that you are a son, that you are a daughter. Because of our responses, here we go, another identity talk again. I would challenge you, do you, have we truly plumbed the depths of this truth? Amen? So that is the third uh, block there. But I hear you say, you mean there's a fourth block? You mean there's something beyond that? Is there something higher than adoption? Because after all, don't most people preach that adoption is the highest blessing of the gospel? I mean, I've preached that myself. But if, I've been really challenged this week, actually. The Bible doesn't stop at adoption, and neither should we. And this is the truth that I, I feel like we're just barely scratching. And that is verse 17 of Romans chapter 8 that says, If we are children then we are heirs. If we are children, then we are heirs. Now, I'm not talking about these kind of heirs, the heirs that I got teased up for school, you know, sticking out like this. Now, I talk, heirs, heirs, by definition, are people who are in line for an inheritance. Not only of wealth and, and, and resources and streets of gold and property, but actually of positions of great honour and authority. You see... We hear a lot about the royal family, don't we? They're all in the news at the moment. People are having babies. People are getting married. The, you know, the, the, the British royal family. Well, all of the royal family are children in that sense. They have a position of, you know, of security and significance because of who they are. They're in the family. But practically, not all of them are in line for the throne. And, or they are so far removed that this big cloud of doubt hangs over them that they would ever you know, step into such an honour. Well, I'll tell you what, as a child of God, there is no doubt in your inheritance. If you are a child, then Romans says you are an heir. You have an inheritance. Okay? And this is an amazing truth that I think we need to keep plumbing the depths of. We have an inheritance. Now, I'm just going to teach for five minutes on what I believe to be our inheritance. And you can agree or disagree. You can feel challenged or provoked, as I have been. And uh, you can give a little feedback at the end, just drop it in the box or something. But this is what I believe is the fourth truth of our identity, that we are heirs. Let's go right back to the beginning, eh? In the beginning. In the beginning, God made us in his image. We are in his likeness. I walked into church with my son on my arm, and, uh, 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 and someone said to me this morning, well, oh, he's just like your splitting image, isn't he? You know, no one ever questioned that he is your son. You know, it's like we were made in his image and in his likeness. Now, what is God like? We can say, well, we could talk a lot about God, couldn't we, about what he's like. But one thing that he is like is that he is sovereign, that he rules and that he reigns and that he has dominion and authority. So if there was a creature that was made in his image then they would have something to reign over. They would have something to be, not, you know, not to be sovereign of the, of the whole universe, but to be, uh, they would have something to rule and reign over. They would have dominion of something because we are made in his image. And that's exactly what we see in Genesis chapter 1. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over every living thing. 
That was a great dignity to be made in the image of God. But you see, the problem was we turned our back on God. And sin fractured humanity. It also fractured creation to the point where we were separated from God and our dignity as image bearers was lost. But God did not leave us in our sin. He called Abraham and his family and said to them, in you, all of the nations will be blessed. Your very own son will be your heir, and number the stars of your able, so shall your offspring be. In other words, it's like, at the moment, the creation was under a curse, you know, through Adam's sin. But God says through Abraham, the earth will be blessed. And not only that, but you'll have an amazing, a massive family who walks in the blessing because in you, the whole world will be blessed. I mean, that is an amazing calling, isn't it? That through you, your, the whole world will be blessed. In other words, Abraham, you are in line for a great inheritance. Through you and your family, you will put, I will put the whole world to right and you will bless the nations. Now, if you go to the New Testament, they interpret um, Abraham's promises not only as having a great big family, you know, man, your son said, father, Abraham, you know, it's like, it's more, it's more than just having a big family, but actually that Abraham's offspring would inherit creation. Romans chapter 4, verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of what? What would they inheritance? Heir of the world did not come by the law, but by faith. Well, you mean, you mean to say that Abraham's offspring would inherit the world? Wow. God's children have an inheritance that is ruling and reigning over new creation, and that was always God's intent for his people. We don't see it now. We see a world corrupted with sin and fractured. But do you know what creation longs for? Creation longs with eager expectation, with eager longing for what? The revealing of the sons of God. Creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain what? The freedom of the glory of the children of God. Wow, this is an amazing inheritance. I mean, I only have time to skim over it this morning, but if you study the Bible, Isaiah, Psalms, Revelation, Paul, Hebrews, our inheritance, our calling is actually to rule and reign with Christ, co-heirs with him. And his inheritance, Psalm chapter 8, is it? Is to what? I will make the nations your inheritance. Wow. This is like the baffles the mind, doesn't it? Why is this truth so important for us to realize, though? I mean, so what? It seems, seems a little bit up in the clouds, doesn't it? Wow. That's a, well, here's the thing. The church, which is us, is called to be an end times people. We are called to be an eschatological community. What that means is we are called to live now in the dignity and the honor and the truth of what is to come. We are called to be an eschatological community, all right? An end times people. That's why we pray for healing. That's why we seek increase. Because in his kingdom, wow, there is no sickness. So we bring heaven to earth now. We live in the truth now of what is to come. So if we are to grasp the truth that we are, will one day as God's children inherit the world and rule and reign with him, then that will equip us now for increase when it comes to resources and wealth and authority, because all of a sudden these things aren't, you know, these things don't seem way beyond us. Wow, it actually was always our inheritance. 
So Paul can correct the Corinthians. Now, the Corinthian church were an interesting bunch. With their freedom, do you know what they decided to do? Take each other to court. I'm going to sue you, all right? I engaged someone for a bit of sign writing, and he misspelled my name on, on, the, on the side of my van. I'm going to take him to court. That's literally what the Corinthians were doing, all right? Putting their vans back then. But you know, you know what I mean. <laughs> they were taking each other to court. And do you know how Paul corrected them? He said, don't you know that you will judge the world? Don't you know that you will judge angels? Are you so incompetent to solve this trivial case of yours when that is the glory of yours to come? Now that verse confuses us unless we understand that we are heirs and we have a great inheritance. We just skate over it and go, that's an odd verse, Paul. Now what Paul is saying is the church is called to live now in the dignity and honour that is your inheritance in Christ. That's why it's so important to grasp it. Then all of a sudden, this thought of impacting a city, of changing a nation, of changing the world, well, that doesn't sound like a very, you know, big task because that is always our calling as the children of God. You see, we are called to impact this nation. We are, God's church is called to impact this city. Oh, that seems like too big of a task for us. We're just this little church in the, in the corner of that. No, 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 you will inherit the world. Through you, all the nations will be blessed. You will rule and reign with Christ as co-heirs with him. And you're going to tell me that that's just a small thing that we might go and impact the city? Now, that is a small thing and compared to the amazing glory that is to come. Paul can say, I, compare, I, can't, I can't even compare all the sufferings of this world compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. So you can live the most wretched life under all of the suffering and it's just horrible and terrible. It is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed in you as his children. And we are called to live in that glory and honor now. So I can't talk about Nehemiah chapter 2 in terms of a season of increase in resources and authority without getting you guys to understand that one day we will actually inherit the world. Therefore, hey, look, let's step out in that business venture. Let's step out in that community initiative. Let's step out in the youth and the kids' work and see them blessed. Let's step out in the, in the city. Let's step out with initiatives. Why? Well, because that's your inheritance as a child of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's why that truth is so important. I was on a plane recently. Uh, we were blessed with a holiday. All right, we've got a little bit of time. Oh, three minutes. Eh? Give me three minutes. We're on a plane recently and are blessed to go on a holiday. And I was flying through the, flying, you know, on Air New Zealand and, you know, just on cloud nine, no kids around, you're on a holiday. It's like, you want to do something? Yeah, let's do something. Let's step out of the house, you know. It's like, uh, you know, it's, 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 life is good, right? Um, and as we're flying on cloud nine, we're looking over and we're seeing oceans and rivers and mountains. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, wow, this is my inheritance as a child of God. This is my inheritance, the rule and reign with Christ over new creation. Wow, that's awesome. That's, that feels like quite a cloud nine experience. But do you know why that's important? Is that because when we land back down under the clouds, when we land back down to our nine to fives, when we land back down to the realities of life, the stresses and the struggles, we need to take that with us and live in the reality now and live in the truth now, so that Paul can say, I, compare, I can't even compare the trials that I'm facing compared to that great honour and glory of him, of, of reigning with him. Wow, that is good stuff, eh? Heirs with Christ. That's our identity. So we are forgiven, we are spirit-filled, we are adopted, we are heirs. 
But we need to understand, we need to have the whole foundation in place if we are to be ready for increase. If we stop it just being forgiven, all right, we, well, we'll burn out, won't we? You know, if, if we stop it just being filled with the Spirit and nothing else, we will operate as orphans, and there's no inheritance for orphans. If we stop it just we are adopted, gosh, we will experience the love of Christ as we should, but we will not grasp the full extent of our calling, of our dignity, and of our inheritance, and we will live in small thinking. And we think, well, that sounds like too big of a task for me, but you can't use me for that, surely. No, no, yes, you can. We have to go all the way through to being heirs with Christ. That's an honor, isn't it? Why don't we stand and I'll, I'll pray for us and Sam, you might bring yourself up. Yeah, let's just get before God because I feel like God is going to be dropping things in our heart, initiatives, dropping areas of identity, just dropping things in our heart as we prepare for increase. The Father wants to know that you are forgiven, that His Spirit is available for you. The Father wants to know that you are loved as His sons and daughters. The Father also wants you to know you have a great inheritance. And he has plans for you. The word says that he has good works prepared in advance for you to, to walk in. All right? Well, what better a work than to be an, an heir of Christ? And so I, I would encourage you to put your hands out and say, Father, show me areas of my life where I need to understand my identity more to a greater depth. Show me, please, Lord, reveal this to me. And Father, at the same time, what would you have me do? What is my inheritance? What have you prepared for me to do? And I know that there are people bubbling with all sorts of things, business initiatives, community initiatives, church ministry initiatives, things on your heart that he has placed for you to do. He wants to know that the extent that you grow in your understanding of your identity is the extent that he is able to pour increase out in that very thing. So don't strive, my children, Know it is about me breathing on you, but know that I have a great work for you to do as well. If something is bubbling in your heart, then go to God and say, Lord, who am I? Who do you say that I am? Show me my identity that I might step into my full inheritance. Oh, this church has a wonderful inheritance in Christ. This church has a city to reach. This church has poverty to overturn. This church has businesses to thrive. This church has families to be restored. This church has nations to be impacted. This church has kings that might come to our light. This church has authority as a child of God to step in and declare freedom and wholeness over people. This church has people to set free who are in bondage. Thank you, Lord, for that inheritance that we might be used by you. Enable us to wield that great, to handle that great responsibility, that great honour of your glory. But Father God, let us do it as sons and daughters. Let us do it as sons and daughters, not orphans. Let us do it as children who know that we have a great inheritance. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord.